father, he was talking to his, uh, he, he's talking to, uh, well, his husband to his wife, but he said, don't you think our son gets all his brains from me? And she said, probably. I still have all mine. <laughs> yeah, it's Mother's Day, guys. Give me some break. Give me some slack here. First yeah. Kings chapter three, verse sixteen. First Kings chapter three, verse sixteen. Uh, there have been times I felt like I didn't have but half a brain, if any. First yeah. Kings chapter three, beginning in verse sixteen. We're going to read a, a, a familiar. Well, it might be familiar, may not be familiar. It just depends on. The, you know, maybe how long you've been in church or how often you've been able to read through your Bible, but uh, this may be the first time you've ever heard this. And then again, it may be a number of times you've heard it. But we're going to talk about a couple of ladies here. Notice what's going on here in verse 16. The Bible says, Then came there two women that were harlots unto the king and stood before him. And the one woman said, O my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house, and I was delivered of a child with her in the house came to pass the third day after that I was delivered, that this woman was delivered also. And we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, save we two in the house. And this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while thine handmaid slept and laid it in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I arose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. When I had considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son, which I did bear. And the other woman said, Nay, nay, but the living is my son and the dead is thy son. And this said, The living is. Is, excuse me, and this said, No, but the, the, the dead is thy son, and the, the, the living is my son. Thus they spake before the king. Then said the king, The one saith, This is my son that liveth, and thy son is the dead. And the other saith, Nay, but thy son is the dead, and my son is the living. And the king said, Bring me a sword. They brought a sword before the king. The king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Then spake the woman whose the living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son, and she said, O my Lord, give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Then the king answered and said, Give her the living child. And in no way slay it. She is the mother thereof. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged. They feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. This particular passage, we are introduced to two women, uh, two harlots, two mothers, in one house. And we also are privy to a king. This particular king in this day and age and time was none other than King Solomon. These women had, had children just three days apart. So they were both infants. They were both very small. There was no doubt that they were just newborns. And during the night, the, the one woman's child died. And at midnight... According to the passage, she swaps 
the children, the dead child for the living child. And in the morning, instead of a living, breathing child, this woman wakes up holding a lifeless corpse. And after examining the child, she realizes that this wasn't her child at all. But instead, it was the other woman's. This event sparks a chain reaction and ultimately leads them before the king. And now they stand before the great King Solomon. They have the audience of the king. And Solomon himself was one of the greatest pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ ruling on his throne in Jerusalem that we have. The great king Solomon, in which there was peace during his reign, in which he ruled and reigned as Christ will one day on the throne of David. And when we look at the reign of Solomon, we see the the reign of Jesus Christ during the millennium. Isn't it interesting and isn't it wonderful to note that Solomon and Jesus Christ then have time for harlots? Aren't you glad about that? You know who usually doesn't have time for people who have found themselves in the midst of sin? Sinners like you and I. We're usually the ones that go around pointing figures and trying to put them down or somehow elevate ourselves instead of loving, instead of being considered, instead of including, instead of trying to reach out to them and encourage and help. No, Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ does that. He did that in our life. He'd do that in anyone's life. But so often we find ourselves being critical and cynical and even judgmental when we ourselves are nothing less, nothing more than sinners ourselves. I'm glad that the the king, and I'm glad that the Lord Jesus Christ has time for harlots because that's the only way he would have time for me then. Before the king they stand. And after sharing their story, after going back and forth a while, the king finally makes a request. Over there in verse 24, he says, bring me a sword. So they brought the sword before the king. He calls for that sword, and of course you know and I know well that every eye in the place had to be on him at this point because here there's this shiny steel sword right there before that child and before those mothers, and I'm sure that there as he, he it comes out of its sheath and he says, now cut the child in two. I'm sure that everybody's like, what is going on here? I can only imagine if that child could speak. Can you imagine? Whoa, 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 hold on a minute. But the baby obviously couldn't speak. Some do. And the king says, divide that child. And boy, I'll tell you what, everybody's in a, just holding their breath. And finally, the mother says, don't do anything to the baby. Give, give her the child. Give her the child. Her heart breaking for her baby. And we see here, that a sword brought about something very, very important. It accomplished something great. And we're going to find that the sword is representative of something else in the Bible. 
And then we're going to take that sword and say, okay, what did it share? I mean, before it's over with, that sword was responsible for a few things. It was responsible for exposing the heart of those women. That sword was responsible not only for revealing the heart of the women, but revealing the truth. That sword was responsible for restoring a family and ultimately exalting a king. And what we're going to find is that that sword will do the same thing in your life and mine. Because, see, the Bible teaches us that the sword is representative, a picture of, none other than the Word of God itself. Take your Bible, look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Again, we start in the Old Testament and we read about two women who a sword made a difference in their life, their family, their outlook, their futures. And we say, okay, well, that sword, how can we make the application? How does it apply to us today? When we look at the sword in the Scriptures, we recognize and realize that the sword is none other than the Word of God. So how can we make the application? Well, we make it with the Word of God then today. Notice it says in Ephesians 6, verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we see this book, the Word of God, is likened unto and pictured as a sword. It is the sword of the Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says, The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints of marrow. This book here that we hold in our hand today in the King James Bible is the Word of God, yes. But it is a sword today. And so as we look back in the Old Testament and we read about two harlots who brought this baby before a king, Solomon, who represents Jesus Christ, what we find is that the sword is going to make an impact and a difference in their life, in the king's life, and in even the kingdom. And the fact is, is that that sword represents the Word of God. And even as that sword in that day, that physical sword, that steel, shiny sword, how it was able to expose the heart of those women, reveal the truth, restore a family, and exalt the king, it will do the exact same thing in your life, in mine, in this day and age, through the Word of God. That's what the Word of God will do in our life. So I want to talk about that for just a few moments on this Mother's Day. Because what I want you to understand this morning as we speak to moms today and everyone in the room today is I want to say, Mom, make much of the Bible. Make much of the Bible. Because the Bible is truly invaluable in your life, in your marriage, in your home, and in the lives of your children today. Invaluable. Make much of the Bible. Let's pray and then we'll look at this. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you mean to us and all that you do for us. Bless us this Mother's Day. Be with every mom especially. Lord, unless you're a mom, you, you really just can't understand and deal and know what they've been through and what they go through. Lord, as a man, I, I can't. I can't fathom uh, how connected they are to their children, carrying a child all those months and then 
delivering a child and going through uh, the closest thing to death they can in this life almost. And then, Lord, to have the responsibility of, of nurturing and caring and protecting and providing. And, Lord, as much as I aid and help and try to do all those things that you've called me to do, I can't understand what my wife has endured and what she's dealt with and how she's addressed those issues and how she feels. Lord, thank you for moms, for their sacrifice, for their love, their grace, for just the investment they make in each of us. Lord, now bless us today. We need you. We'll thank you and praise you for how you'll speak to our hearts today. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, we're talking about the sword again. And again, the sword, according to the Word of God, is the Word. <laughs> so what does this book do in our life then? We saw what it did in the lives of two harlots. We saw how right off the bat, the sword exposed the heart. Well, guess what? This book will expose our hearts too. It will expose our hearts for what they really are. I mean, the solution that the king had was to divide the child in half. Each one of you gets a half. And I mean, that's just an amazing thought. And yet here he is now. It's going to expose the hearts of these women. The one woman, she's harder, hard as nails. Go ahead, divide the child up. Go ahead. I, none of us need to have that child. She's so vindictive. She's so angry. She's so mean-spirited. She's so critical. She's so cynical. And yet on the other hand, it reveals the heart of a loving mother, a nurturing mother that says, no, turn the child over to her. I don't care if I ever see the child again. I don't care if it's considered mine. I just want the child to live. I want it to experience life. I want it because she loved that child and her heart yearned for that child. See, the sword exposed the heart of those two women. And that's exactly what the sword will do in your life and in mine today. In Hebrews chapter 4, again, we noted already that the Word of God was quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We understand that. But it goes on to say, neither, in verse 13, is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, see, again, uh, this passage above says that it's going to be a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, yes, but neither is there any creature that is manifest, not manifest in sight. He says that that word right there, this book right here, is going to reveal the thoughts and the intents of our heart. It'll, it'll reveal who we are, what we are, how we feel, our perspective, our outlook. It will reveal that. You Listen, you don't have to tell God how you feel. You don't have to tell God what your spirit is and what your attitude is and what your outlook is. God already knows. And the truth is, if you'll take the time to get in the Word of God and genuinely allow it to search your heart, He will expose your heart to you so you can see the pitfalls, the downfalls, the good, the bad, and the ugly in it. Because this book right here will expose our hearts. And by the way, one of the reasons why we don't like to get into this book is because it does expose our heart. One of the reasons we like to lay it down and, and leave it on the shelf and not get into it, dig into it, study it, memorize it, meditate on it is because it ultimately reveals to us how, we, how, fall, how, how far we fall short of His standard. There are no secrets between you and God today. None. No secrets at all. None at all. And... The king produces a sword that day. He puts it on display, and it exposed the hearts of those women. And may I say that this book right here will display our hearts too. It will display our hearts. By the way, it's interesting too, isn't it? 
you, you don't have to be judgmental, but if you know this book, and then you, you, you see how people respond to circumstances and situations, you see their attitude. I mean, some of you probably are bitter at mom today. And you say, my heart's right with God. But let me tell you something. If I know this book, I know that it will reveal that if you have a bitterness toward your mother or your father or toward somebody in, in this world, then let me tell you something. Your heart's not right yet. You say, you can't judge me. I don't have to. God's word will. Right, and it does. Let me tell you something. We have to have you right in our heart because God's not as impressed with what you do and how you look and what you say as he is with how and who you are. It's this right here that matters. And so listen, you are so many times, so many times, we lie to ourselves. Oh, I'm fine. I'm good. But everybody around us knows there's a problem because the book proves it, identifies it in our life, points it out. The question is, will you be man or woman enough to get into this book and say, God, reveal to me my shortcomings. Show me where I fall short. Reveal to me my real heart. Expose my heart to me. That's what David said. David said, he said over there in the book of Psalms, he said, um, you know what, I just went blank and I'm moving on because i got to hurry. Okay, so the sword exposes the heart. That's how you handle a problem, you, 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 you young preachers. You don't know something, you just go, I don't know, let's move on. That way you don't have to try to dig and look stupid trying to go, oh, blah, 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 blah. okay? Now, number two, the sword revealed the truth. The sword revealed the truth, all right? It revealed the truth. Yeah, it exposed the heart, but it also revealed the truth. So here we are in verse 27 of our passage. Then the king answered and said, Give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. She is the mother of it. It exposed the truth. We knew now who truly is the mother. We know for sure who's really the one who loves and cares because it exposed the hearts, and therefore it exposed the truth. Revealed the truth. The sword always brings truth to light. As a matter of fact, the Bible's called the word of truth. This word is truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So you want to know, you want to find truth in the world? I love that second verse that the kids sang. You know, talking about houses and all the things that we can buy and have. And they promise peace and they promise joy and happiness. And the kids sang and said, that's a lie. It's a lie. All I need is Jesus. He's the one that truly supplies our needs. He's the one that provides us with the joy, the peace. All I need is Jesus. That's a wonderful truth. And if the children caught that, boy, they were so much further ahead than many of us even in our lives. This book is truth. We live in a society of changing mores and values. Absolutes are past, are, 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 are over and gone. That's, that, that's, it, it seems like they no longer exist in our culture. We have redefined right and wrong today. And God's word is truth. You can't go wrong in this book. The danger with redefining right and wrong is that it's going to sear our consciences. That's the problem. We start saying that this is no longer right, but it's wrong. Or this is no longer wrong, it's right. Ultimately, we have a seared, we'll have a seared heart. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah 5.20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's what happens when we start redefining what right and wrong is. When we remove the truth and we start allowing the philosophy of humanism to take over. 
That's what begins to take place, and that's what happens. We redefine the truth, and, and it may tend to ease our consciences, but it will never change what is right, what is wrong, and what God truly says. In Romans 3, 3 and 4, the Bible says, For what if some did not believe? What if they don't believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. He says it doesn't matter whether you truly believe. It doesn't matter whether you accept reality. It doesn't matter whether you believe that God's the creator of the universe or not, or whether you believe he created mankind and all the animals and fishes and fowl of the air. It does not matter whether you believe that he is a God that is conscious, alive and well on the throne in heaven, and that we are a people that can be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you believe because it doesn't change the truth. Whether you believe it or you don't, it's still true. That's what he says. And he says, ultimately, the fact is, is that let God be true, but every man a liar. You don't agree with God, you're the one that becomes the liar, not God. That's what the Bible teaches. God is always true. He's always right. Our children need to be raised on truth. As moms and dads, we must raise them on truth. Back in 2012, the Obama administration announced its long-awaited changes to, to government-subsidized school meals. I mean, they, they, they changed everything. It was a final round of rules that added more fruits and green vegetables to breakfast and lunches and reduced the amount of salt and, and, and fat intake. Now, again, uh, you know, uh, the, we know that over 32 million children participate in school meal programs each day. The rules, the rules changed for the first time in 15 years to what is a $11 billion program every year. Can you imagine that? We're spending $11 billion to feed children breakfast and lunch in our school systems today. Amazing. It's amazing to me how concerned our government claims to be about the health and the welfare of our children, and yet they have no regard for their moral compasses. I, I'm a little bit fed up with it, to be honest with you. I mean, we are determined to combat this growing problem of obesity in the lives of our children and their, their horrible diets, supposedly. But on the other hand, we'll give them a steady diet of humanism. We'll give them a steady diet of, of, of no truth whatsoever. You can't have the Bible in the, in, the, in the school. You can't possibly teach creation in a school. You can't even take the position that there's, you know, put them side by side anymore. Because, listen, it's just the bottom line. If you have any, any common sense at all, any brain function at all, evolution is truth. It's fact. And that's the stuff that's being pushed. And immorality is being pushed. And this, this idea that man has a solution to every problem and to, to, to neglect God and not allow him to have a part in the lives of our children, and yet you're going to tell me you care? I have a real problem with that. It bothers me. I don't know about you, but it bothers me. This constant diet of immorality in our culture, our society, they need, our children need truth in their diet much more than they need more vegetables. And I'm all right with vegetables, okay, even though I don't like them much. That's fine, as long as they have to eat them and I don't. But our children are weak and vulnerable like never before. And it's due to a lack of truth being served up in our nation's schools and homes and even on mama's knee. 
And while we as parents have tirelessly, I mean tirelessly, worked to provide our children with a better way of life, these educators and government officials have been force-feeding our children with a steady diet of this humanism. It's sad. What do you believe today? I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist. You're only 11. How'd you get there? There is no God. Don't you know, stupid old man? Huh? That's what they're being taught. And you, you think, oh, it's all, it's all harmless. It is not harmless. They're saying your parents don't know what they, they... Their parents are ignorant and stupid. Your preachers are ignorant and stupid. Anybody who doesn't agree with us with a Ph.D. in front of their name is ignorant and stupid. Anybody that has any intelligence knows that there is no God. That's what they're being taught. And I'm sorry they're being so crude and so forward, but may I say you, it is a desperate situation we find ourselves in. And as moms and dads, we better be aware of what's being taught to our children in that school system or even taught in that Sunday school class or taught anywhere they're being taught because honestly, when it's all said and done, you and I are responsible for their upbringing. And one day they'll stand before God and give an account for their life and what they have embraced and what they have been taught and what's been instilled in them from us will be what makes the big difference. I'll guarantee you that. Humanism. You say, what in the world are you talking about? I'm just going to define it and move on. Humanism is an outlook or system of thought attaching prime importance to human rather than divine or supernatural matters. Humanist beliefs beliefs stress the potential value and goodness of human beings, emphasizing common human needs, and seek solely rational ways of solving human problems. What that all says in the bottom line is that God is not needed. He's dead. Who cares? We don't need them. Humans, we have enough ability, enough God in us to do it ourselves. Well, that's a morally bankrupt message, and it's going to destroy our nation, which we see the effects of it already. Number three, the sword restored the family. He says, give her the living child. Man, I'll tell you what, you got a problem in your home. Self-help books are wonderful, and they can be helpful, but there is no self-help book better than this one right here. Now listen, it, it, it's, it, it takes an element of commitment when you get into this book. You know, we, we are that fast food age, and we are that, you know, give me the prescription, you know, real quick. I just want to take it as fast as possible. Don't give me, it used to be 30 days you had to take an antibiotic. Then all of a sudden it was 10 days, and then they had a five-day pack, and everything quick, 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 fast, fast, fast. I want results, I want results. Let me tell you something, it takes time to let the truth really change your life and move into your heart and make an impact. And you know what? This is the truth, though, and this is the only thing that's going to give you the hope that you need. You may have a problem in your home with husband and wife. You may have a problem in your home with children. You may have an issue going on in your life. Let me tell you, the answers are found in this book. It's not a relic. It's not an antique. It's pertinent. It's practical. And it can make a difference in your life. Number four, the sword exalted the king, too. It exalted the king. In the end, isn't that what it's all about, exalting Jesus Christ? See, the sword exposed the heart. The sword revealed the truth. It restored the family. And that sword, this book, the Word of God, exalts the king. It exalts the king. All of those things. This book's important today. Don't neglect the book. Don't neglect the Word of God. Don't dismiss it. Don't consider it just like any other piece of literature in your home. It is very special. It's unique. It is God's Word. It is truth. What am I trying to say this morning on this, well, almost sunny Mother's Day? 
Mom, make much of the Bible. You say, how can I do that? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Number one, schedule time each day to read, memorize, and meditate on the Word of God. Schedule time to do that. Identify a time, a place, and then do it. Be there. Spend time in this book, Mom. Spend time in this book, Dad. Make much of this book. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Number two, share it with your children regularly by reading it to them. Read it to them. Let them see it's important to you. Read this book to your children. And then speak about it consistently. Talk about it regularly. This is important. You keep it in front of your kids. Yet not just that you have your time with God, but then you share it with them. Sit down and read a story from the Bible or just read a, a passage or something. Just let them know that that book is important to you and in your home. Number three, how do you make much of the Bible? Obey and display it faithfully in your home and abroad. Live it. Demonstrate it. Act it out in your life on a regular basis. Let them see you obeying the Word of God, following the truth. Not doing things necessarily the way everybody else does, but doing it the way God says to do it. Taking on a position that is Christ-minded. Taking a position on current events and situations and ideologies and saying the Word of God this is what God says and how He sees it. That's how I see it. So schedule a time each day. Share it with your children regularly. Obey and display it faithfully. And number four and finally, expect nothing less from your children. Require them to do the same in their life. There's a breakdown in that today. You know what I find? And it kind of saddens me. I find there are moms and dads who feel they don't have a right to require their children to obey their faith or to follow their standards. That's a problem. God gave me a child and God has revealed things from his word and has entrusted that truth with me. And if that truth is God's word and it's good enough for me, then it's good enough for my kids. If I need to read my Bible, then my children ought to have to read their Bible. If, if I've got to dress and act a certain way, then my children ought to dress and act a certain way. If I need to be in God's house, then my kids ought to be in God's house. I mean, I'm just saying, it's God's Word. What, if, if it's right for me, if it's what God demands of me, then I think that it would be good for me to teach my children early on that it's good for them. You say, well, you'll teach your kids not to love God. They'll, they'll, they'll despise the church and they'll, they'll hate the preacher and they'll hate... No, they won't. They'll hate it if you do. You, you know what I find? I find that kids that grow up to hate church is because they heard their mom and dad talk about the hypocrites in the church. They heard their mom and dad discuss how they didn't agree with the preacher on this and on that and how they didn't like how the program was and they think he's preaching too much on soul winning and he's always about this and always about that. You be careful how you talk around your kids. That's usually what will destroy your children. It, ain't, it isn't your standard. Because if you have a smile on your face when you say, uh, excuse me, Johnny, this is, uh, here, put that on, would you, son? Oh, okay. 
Put that on. But when you're going, we got to put that on. We got to dress that. We're going to church now, so we have to get all dressed up. Your kid goes, I hate church. Got to get dressed up. Because you're acting that way. And then you go, my child just doesn't appreciate the preaching at that church. And he doesn't get along and she doesn't get along with that. And, and, and they've got too many standards on it. They've got too many things going on. My kid just can't deal with it. No, you can't deal with it. Why don't you be honest now? Sorry, I'm just preaching now. And I just want to encourage you to make much of this. This ought to be where you get your standards from. This ought to be where you get your, your, your home and your family uh, uh, responsibilities from. And what's a dad supposed to be? Right here it is. What's a mom supposed to be? Here it is. What roles should dad have? Here they are. What roles should mom have? Here they are. I didn't ask you to go put a, a balloon up in the sky and kind of test the waters and see what the society says and what the world teaches and what culture's saying. Let's just get in the book. It's truth. It's the truth. And find out what you're supposed to be doing and how you're supposed to do it God's way. And it'll make a difference in your life. Because that word right there, that word will expose our hearts. It will reveal the truth. It will restore our families. And it will exalt Jesus Christ. I love family. And you're here, so I, I know you do too. More important than anything else in this world, though, to me. More important than my children getting a good education. More important than them having a nice husband or wife to spend the rest of their life with. More important than them being safe and sound in this world is that their soul is saved and on their way to heaven. So that whatever happens in this life, I know how it ends. And today, let's make much of this book because in the end, what it really determines is where your children will spend eternity and where mine will. This is important today. It is the truth. And there is no other truth because he is the truth. God help us today to not make light of it, but make much of it. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for all you do for us and all you mean to us. Bless us today. Lord, we're going to take just a moment of invitation.